0: Welcome to the Property Business Accelerator Podcast with your host, Mike Frisbee. Mike is a well-respected property investor and has built up a high-yielding residential property portfolio across the Southeast since 2006. Mike is well-known for his HMO expertise and for specializing in delivering high-end, premium and affordable HMO living spaces. Complex property knowledge made simple, direct from the property front line with Mike Frisby.
1: Welcome, Sarge. Uh, I'm delighted to have you on our podcast um, this afternoon Um, and um, it's it's brilliant to have you on. Um, Obviously, we've known each other now probably for over a decade, um, sort of when you're getting into property, I believe probably when you're getting into property full time. Um, and it's been brilliant to see your progress Uh, and we have I feel we have very very similar businesses so I always I'm looking to see what you're doing so here today I'm here to learn a little bit from you Um, and um, I know that you're obviously in Birmingham and seem to be very big in the Birmingham area and obviously run a fantastic network meeting um, when live events are allowed so um, I think it's been brilliant to see your growth and progress over time and certainly I've followed it and uh, been tracking it. So thank you very much for coming on. And if you could just introduce yourself and um, uh, let l- the listeners know a little bit about who you are.
2: Thank you very much, Mike, much appreciated. And thank you for the invite being here today. And um, as you said, we uh, follow a, a similar business model. So I'm always interested in what you're up to as well, Mike. So, uh, And I think we're, we're in, in interesting times right now. My, my journey's evolved from uh, initially sourcing property, doing some single lets, uh, going in to do HMOs, uh, some commercial residential and some new brand new developments. So it's evolved over the years. Um, I have uh, dabbled in lots of uh, strategies along the way. And I think the useful uh, thing that's come from that is it's built an enormous amount of knowledge, even though I've only kind of tried a few strategies and thought maybe that's not the, the one for me. Uh, so it's probably about around 15 years in total when I first started getting into property but it, it was a very slow journey, and as you mentioned, we met fairly early on, probably 10, 12-ish years ago, I think, when we when we first met, uh, um, and I was still trying to find my feet at that time as well.
1: Yes, brilliant. Yeah, so as, as I said, great to have you on, because I, I know that we probably learn off each other, and it's always been good um, to catch up when we do. Probably not enough, probably, uh, over time, so it's another opportunity to catch up. But I, I've got a few questions for you today, so um, I was going to crack on with... Um, what do you feel is your best deal and uh, why?
2: Um, there's probably a couple of deals I'd just like to share with you. Um, the, the One one of those were my very early ones, or one is a very recent one. And I thought it's a nice contrast in terms of mm. how, they, uh, how they've gone about as well. So the first one was a deal that I did, um, probably was eight, 10 years ago. I can't remember exactly when it was now. It was really at the pretty much at the height of recession. Was finding um, distressed sellers, BNB property, and there was a property that I managed to buy three flats for seventy-five thousand, um, just north of uh, north of Birmingham. Which, when I look back now, I think it's been an amazing deal. But at the time, <laughs> I was probably too
1: close to it to to realise how good the deal was. Yeah, I'm saying uh, twenty-five grand certainly for where I am. Twenty-five grand for a flat is an amazing deal. But when you start <laughs> to head north ten years ago, there was probably uh, past Birmingham, obviously. Uh, there's probably a few more of them
2: yeah and i, and I think uh I, w- I was just focused on trying to find people and i think that was the key thing find people that were in a situation that wanted to maybe offload the property and there's a family issue going on here um and it was a little bit messy it took several months for the deal to to materialize from when the first conversation first started with the seller all the way down to the end when we actually completed the transaction so when he hit the word go okay that's fine we're doing this we literally completed the transaction in less than two weeks. Um, but there was months and months of going backwards and forwards, him changing his mind, deliberating, trying in the auction, had other set of buyers interested in all kinds of things. Um, and today that's probably worth about 250, 270, something like that. So uh, nice a little uh, nice little profit in that. Mm. And I think the reason I, I look back at that deal, I think, OK, uh, I mean, we've done other deals that's made us quite a lot of money in a single transaction. But this one I like and I go back to because at the time, I don't think I realized um, uh, what I was completely doing at the time, but I was just focused on okay, how can I help this guy? How can I help this guy Uh, and give him what he needs? And by by creating a solution that was giving him what he needed, which was uh, um, certainty. uh, It was a discreet sale because he had family issues going on um, and. uh some certainty about what was going to happen in the future because his family still had other property nearby and how it was going to affect everybody so i was thinking about all these things and that's how deal came about because at the end it was no longer about the numbers for him and i was thinking well you know also, the the truth of the matter is I didn't have the cash to buy it, so I thought it's going to be really, really cheap for me to be interested in it. And then, of course, I found the money very, very quickly because you know I say if you get good at finding deals, the money finds you. Yeah, and it I absolutely did. So I managed to do it quite quickly. So that was probably one of my most favourite deals early uh, early on, and I've still got those uh, those properties now. And uh, more recently, uh, it's been the new build projects that we're doing at the moment—the new houses we're building. Um, so that's a, a two million pound GDP, just over two million with about 500,000 profit in there. Now I wanted to get into new build for probably three or four years. Um, but because I, I work with a lot of other people's money, I'm always ultra cautious in not, not only be able to make a profit but have to pay everybody back and make it work. And as you, you we think about where we're going to be in a few years time, I still want to be here in a few years time doing this. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm fairly, fairly cautious but I just couldn't get the numbers to stack on in the deals, the the sites were too expensive or the build cost was going to be too high or the risks were too high. Um, And this particular site uh, was found by a friend of mine, who's a quantity surveyor. He wanted to work with me. We've been talking about working together on a a project for a while and this came along. The figures weren't quite right at the time. Uh, They were too high, The, the seller wanted too much, but there was some time pressure he had as well. There was also, a section 106, essentially some taxation that had to be paid on completion, which we managed to negotiate off uh, as well. And ultimately brought the price down to where it was gonna be viable, which I think was about 525,000 if I remember correctly, um, is what we paid for it. And so, so so, I was excited about doing a deal like that because not only was it, it, it was uh, uh, evolving into a new stage of, of what I've been doing, something I want to do, build out the ground, um but also it was going to be in a project that had sufficient profit in it that meant that actually if there's a few bumps along the way and there's going to be a little bit of learning you can absorb it yeah and there definitely have been some bumps along the way and there has been some learning but i'm not too stressed about it because there's a huge profit at the end of it you know you can absorb some of that and that that was really key for me so so they're probably two my my favorite deals if you like and and what on on that site what are you building out uh, four, four houses, uh, five bedroom detached houses.
1: And uh, you're currently doing that at the moment, are you? So when- you finished do... actually, we're doing the handover this month. Brilliant, brilliant, yeah. Sounds, yeah. sounds fantastic. Excellent. And um, as an investor, um, especially with the number of years that we we probably got combined in, in this sector, um, there's always something that's been a bad deal. There's always problems in property. I find that property is, is, a, is it, you know, there's always gonna be a bump along the road, as you're saying. Um, so what's probably been your worst deal and why? Um, the
2: worst deal is probably not one where I lost the most money because I have lost money along the way, but I've just made sure I've not lost other people's money. Um, but the worst deal is probably there was a, um, it was a tenant buyer deal that I did, which just to explain for someone that might be listening, may not sure what that means. It was a property that effectively we take on an option agreement, Then Mm. offer it to somebody else who's going to take it on as their home and they pay pay a fee for it. So that part of it all went really well. There was no issues. That was great. Um, And I think it's about eight or 10,000 pound fee I charged to set it up at stock, which was great. Um, And it was probably two or three years into it that the the tenant buyer just disappeared. In fact, they just moved to Spain and left a note to say, which is crazy because they'd paid me quite a bit of money. They'd been paying the mortgage and they'd spent money on the house as well. But what the issue was is that the person who actually owned the property, who we'd taken it on from, um, she was a single mother whose husband passed away not that long ago. They'd only been married a few years. Um, and she, she was going through quite a tough time he died of alcoholism and so you know she was really having it tough mm. So i was again trying to help her and i created a solution she was happy but then when the property came back really what i ended up doing i got emotionally involved doing it because i think i need to try and help this person so then i ended up taking it on i said look you don't worry about it i said i'm going to deal with this so i'll take it on and i and i took it on and we lost money on it for years and years and years and even in the end when we sold it on on behalf of the owner because i'm just responsible for the whole thing we still lost money on it so it must have been i don't know 15 20 grand over the years we lost on this little three-bedroom house and again in terms of money terms it probably wasn't a huge amount in the grand scheme of things but the the key learning for me was that i i was getting emotionally involved into that deal it was no longer about the property and money it's about no i'd said i'll try and help and then you know i was i was going way above what i needed to Uh, even though I was helping her but I was really making her problems my problems and I think that that was the biggest mistake and that was a learning that you know you need to have some boundaries when doing these type of deals
1: yeah yeah I think I think sometimes it is hard isn't it when you give your word to someone and and both of us are probably very similar in that you want you want to just sort of help out and make sure you fulfill that word and if, if that means it costs us in the pocket it means that's something you've got to deal with it's your reputation on the line and you want to continue to push through and make things happen. So that's so, yeah, it's, it's hard, isn't it? You know, they say you shouldn't get too emotionally involved in some of these things. But uh, unfortunately, um, it is hard, I think, sometimes. Yeah. And you know,
2: you're absolutely right. When we're dealing with sellers directly, often it is about emotions and it's about managing those emotions yeah. and understanding their problems and how we can help them. You know, and I say this to to my mentees as well, but at that point, I wasn't really following it myself. Is don't make their problems our problems don't inherit the problem you've got to be able to find solutions for the problems and that's really what i've done there i just take all the problems on and i'd say you go off don't worry about it i'll sort all this out and it was just a mess trying to deal with it
1: yeah yeah okay so that's a good insight there i think that that taking the 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 problem onto your shoulders and making it your problem as opposed to maybe a joint problem and and also um you know as you say keep focused on the solution um which is great so what would you say after, you know, you've got a lot of experience, you've done a lot of deals uh, and um, I'm sure most of them have, have gone uh, well. Um, what would you say is your key property tip? If you were giving someone today in property um, uh, a tip from all your learnings, what would you say is a key tip that you can give uh, the listeners? Yeah, I think I think about this in the context of if I was starting again,
2: what's the, what's the one thing I'd need to focus on? And I think this is something I, I, I learned earlier on. Again, when we met as well, and I think you saw this as well. Yeah. Is I just got really, really good at finding deals. And I think that's the key thing, regardless of what type of strategy you're following, where you're based in the country, where we are in the economic cycle, how much money you've got. If you get good at finding deals, that will massively give you a, a head start in this business. Um, because there'll be plenty of people that want to work with you whether it's funders, whether it's buyers of deals, um, you know you want to set up joint venture, however you want to work, there'll be plenty of scope to do that because you have the thing that everybody's looking for. And I, I see many people, in fact I was just this morning somebody's messaging me on, on Instagram about they're yeah, a deal sourcer. And my favorite question normally is tell me about your last three deals. And it was it was some waffle about something. And as soon as I started drilling into it, it disappeared on me. And the the reason I share that is because there's too many people talk about being deal sources when really they haven't sourced anything. They'd like to be deal sources, And I think the proof is in the pudding when you're out there finding good deals. And, you know, when I was when I was uh, actively doing this on a direct to vendor basis, there's probably one deal in 20 that I converted numbers weren't brilliant I was you know I was doing lots of conversations lots of negotiation and maybe one of those is going to turn into a a deal I think sometimes when you speak to people don't have the experience they're talking to 20 people and they think they've got 20 deals Uh, you haven't got 20 deals you know come back in a few weeks time and you know we can have the conversation again because they're going to fall by the wayside they haven't been uh, negotiated they're not locked down um so I guess the the key message here is get absolutely brilliant at sourcing deals. Now, when we talk about sourcing, there's two ways we can do that. You can do direct to vendors, as I was just talking about, or we can go to the agents. Now, the reality is that both of these require a certain level of competence around your communication skills. And, you know, if you're an introvert type of person, then maybe you might struggle with that. But then there's other ways you can do that. You don't have to do that bit yourself. But if you can put yourself in the position where you can set up systems, like for example, Mike, I know you were huge when you were doing leafleting in terms of volumes you were doing, but you can get other people to do some of this stuff and you sit in the middle by processing those leads, working out which are the ones that are going to be good deals and which ones you want to do. You're still in the flow of those deals. They still come through you. So you don't need to do the whole process yourself. If you can, you can get very good at it. And I think that's the one thing that would really help when people are starting out, that. that says it doesn't matter what strategy you're doing, you've got to be able to find the deals, analyse and make sure they understand the numbers stack.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, th- I, th- I think that's a really, really good tip for everybody at whatever level. It's always be in the flow of the deals and make sure that you get the good deals. And also the other good tip I think that you mentioned there was, um, it's, it's volume. And I, I always sort of say to people, you know, it's, it's volume. Volume is a really key thing to finding deals. As you say, I think a few people sort of Start to get a lead, and they go, "Wow, I've got a deal!" Um, but they've got one lead, or two leads, or three leads, and it's like, "Wow, I've got a deal!" I'm, I've, I've like cracked this. No, it's it is a huge volume. And as you said, in my early days of my direct to vendor de- days, was you know leaflets was my source. And people would say, "Oh yeah, I've sent out a whole load of leaflets," and I'd say, "How many have you done?" And they'd talk about five hundred, and I'd stick say stick another couple of noughts onto that to get a deal. Um, and uh, I think it always shocked them. But the deals that you did find were, were certainly good. And, and in those days were, were worth it. So, um, well, yeah, I've I think- I've got to jump
2: in there, Michael, just so you inspired me with leaflets. because I remember you saying that about the volumes. At that time, I was doing one or 2,000 leaflets and I went and ordered 100,000 leaflets. <laughs> after after listening to you, I thought, right, we're <laughs> gonna do this properly. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it was a complete nightmare trying to get them out. because. Yeah getting them printed and having them sitting outside on your doorstep on a pallet is, is not difficult. It's actually getting them into the letterbox. That's the challenge. Yeah. Uh, and then over a period of months, I created that as a habit and it really did pay off.
1: Yeah. OK, that's good. That's good. Well, I'm really pleased that that's, I should imagine that's got a good few deals for you. So that, that's excellent. Yeah. But it, it, it is a volume, certainly a volume thing. And, and the other thing, I mean, you've talked about systems here in, in a couple of things um, that we've discussed. But um, I'm a great believer that property is a business and, you know, certainly if you want to come to the scale, you know, there are a few people which, you know, they want a handful of properties, fine. You know, you might be doing it alongside and, and maybe it's a retirement nest egg. But certainly if you want to do this full time or certainly if you want to create a decent income out of it, whether you're working or not, I sincerely believe that property is a business. So and I've always been intrigued by business and entrepreneurship. And, um, you know, that's the key word. When I was a kid, I just thought that owning a business was going to be the way that I wanted to run my life. But so what kind of business tip, what do you, what do you say out of your learnings? And I know you've run more than one business, you know, you've run out businesses outside of property as well. So what would you say is your key tip, business tip um, for investors?
2: So I think around uh, a tip, I think first of all, uh, and this has taken me many years of learning, is first to recognize your own skills and strengths. Because often as entrepreneurs, we think we can do everything and we're, uh, we're control freaks. We don't want to let go of anything. We think nobody can do anything as good as we can do it. And we want to do everything ourselves. And uh, that's the limitation because you can't grow then. And I am a fan of systems. I, I, I like creating the system, but I hate running the systems. <laughs> so, um, you know, if you're familiar with Wealth Dynamics, sort of a creator yeah. mechanic type uh, uh, mindset is how I work, it's, it's coming up the ideas and how we're going to do something. somebody else needs to do it because i've lost interest five minutes later um so the 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 thing that i've learned to do which which was quite difficult at the beginning is to delegate and let go allow other people to do things find the best people you can to do certain things and really if you can find people that can do things better than you can do them that's absolutely perfect and sometimes um uh, it can be a confidence thing when people around you are much smarter and more intelligent than you. Like, you know, you c- can feel a little strange, but that would be the perfect environment for me when I'm the least smartest person in the room. I'm learning from everybody else, and if they're working for you, that's even better. Um, and uh, was it Henry Ford? I think says, you know, I don't need to know everything because you know I've got people to answer all the questions for me that I need, um, or something uh, along those lines. I probably butchered that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think being able to understand our strengths and skills, and then being able to delegate things out to other people, the right people rather than anybody, I think that makes the uh, that makes the biggest difference. Um, my my in my previous life, I'd run IT businesses, I ran that for about fifteen years, uh, and I was very good at building relationships with people as well. So when I got into property, I was very quickly forging relationships, and I was attracting people to do potential joint ventures and things with but actually I realized what I was doing is you see other people and you connect with them very quickly and that's because you see yourself in them, and that's why you connect with them but when you're partnering with somebody like that really what you're doing is you're you're not only uh, amplifying your strengths you're amplifying your weaknesses as well so you're both now twice as bad as doing the accounts because nobody wants to do them and um, so I think it's finding the, the right people that fit into the environment or what you're trying to do, what you're trying to create rather than the ones personality-wise that you connect with and resonate with the, with the most. So I think understanding uh, our individual strengths and limits and uh, delegating to the right people to help us grow.
1: Yeah, I, I think it's always hard to find those right people, isn't it? I think that's another skill in itself, but certainly getting that realization in the first place was, I think it was a bit of a breakthrough for me too. So um, absolutely. And then um, also, around, I guess, around that and developing yourself, you talked about developing and learning, and, and um, I know you're very keen at continuing to sort of grow and develop and, and push your business forward. So I was wondering, was has there been a book or anything that you feel that's has really motivated you and really been, uh, as I guess, some key learnings, again, that you've taken out um, that maybe the listeners might want to tap into as well? So... Has there been something that's marked? I mean, a lot of people say, oh, yes, this book really made a difference to me. Has there been one that stood out to you?
2: Yeah, so uh, at the beginning when I got involved in property, people were talking about reading books and personal development, and I'm thinking, I'm here to learn about making money. do not talk about reading books and personal development. How do I make money from property? But actually, they fit in quite closely together, and that was really my my journey into personal development. And one of the earlier books that I, uh, I read um, which many people will have read and say it had a huge impact uh, on them was rich dad poor dad although I read the book it didn't actually have that big impact on me if I'm being honest and I, so I often listen to people I say why does it make such a big impact and I think it's probably because I've never really worked for anybody else I've always worked for myself so I've not really been in that situation where I'm trying to get off a corporate environment and work for myself so maybe it didn't resonate as much but one book I did read early on that made a big difference to me was how to win friends and influence people. Now, this book, a Dale Carnegie one, is uh, one that helped me understand, especially at the beginning when I was trying to build a network and, and not realizing that's what I'm doing, just trying to meet people and grow, is to understand that we need to focus on the other person, understand them, learn about them and serve them rather than rushing and thinking what's in it for me. So that book is one, one of the most earliest books I read when I got into property. And I think it made a huge difference in terms of my thinking when I was going out. Because at the time, it was just network meetings. There's a little bit of stuff online, and there were books. That was the only way to learn. There weren't all these uh, online forums and things like they are they are now, and the huge number of property network meetings, although during lockdown and stuff, there's not many happening. But this environment didn't really exist in that form. Um, so by getting out and meeting people and just thinking about some of the stuff I learned from that book, I think helped a lot. Then another book that uh, I read a few years ago that I uh, that kind of layered it was really uh, Influence um, uh, by uh, Cialdini. Uh, that book, again, about understanding people and understanding outcomes. And uh, so sometimes people think influence can be quite a negative thing. But I think what you're doing with influence is you're you're helping someone get to uh, an outcome. It's it's, um, uh, uh, it's it's not like you're uh, you're doing some uh, mind tricks that are going to persuade somebody to do or say something that they weren't going to do anyway. But it's just helping and nurturing and creating that situation that allows for that outcome to, to happen. And I think that's a great book uh, to, to kind of follow on off the back of a, off the back of a Del Carmel book.
1: Brilliant, brilliant. We've got two there, so that's fantastic. But it's all around people and influence. Yes. And I, I think that's a strong theme coming out in this interview, is everything is all about people for you and it's, it's relationships. And I, and I guess I think, you know, even if you talk to some of the top, I think entrepreneurs, you know, they'll probably say the same thing. You know, Richard Branson, it is about, he can open doors, he, he talks to people, he wins people over, he brings people along the way. So um, I think it's a great tip for anybody who's in business. Uh, relationships are key and building a fantastic team is obviously key so I've got one um, final question actually for you Sarge and I'm always interested to see where people are heading and obviously you've been investing now for over a decade you said about 15 years you know really at it for the last 10 years I know you've been very very busy Um, so where do you see yourself in in 10 years time I always think that's far enough in advance to really have a bit of vision behind it a bit of inspiration so where where would you see yourself in in 10 years time yeah i mean this is a really interesting question i
2: do ask myself quite a lot. my wife asks me regularly so when are you going to pack all this stuff in uh, it's often about the retirement isn't it <laughs> have you achieved enough now yeah um, so i guess i am in a very fortunate blessed position that actually if i just didn't do a single day's work again for the rest of my life you know i'd probably be okay and my kids would probably be okay as well as long as they didn't all rush up and buy ferraris and lamborghinis but you know there's something inside me that just keeps me driven and keeps me want to move forward and i think it's not just about making money because at the end of the day i'm not somebody that's interested in you know designer clothes or watches and stuff you know i don't spend money on those things you know I, i live in a fairly modest way i like my cars i have expensive cars i drive and that's about it um you know i go on quite a few holidays a year not been anywhere this year unfortunately though um so so then I think, actually, well, if you had another zero or two zeros on the end of the number in the bank account, what difference is that going to make? And I think ultimately it's about what impact I can make somebody else and what difference can you you can make to other people? How can you leave a legacy? And I think that's what drives me and I just want to achieve more. I'm still very competitive. Um, so to, to answer your question, I, I really enjoyed the, the new build development stuff. And I think there's huge opportunities there. Um, one of the earlier things I learned we talked about it was BNB buying below market value you, you know you make your money when you buy the deal which is the first example I gave uh, of the, the best deal and the other example was you make your money because you add value as opposed to a bought it, uh, buying it for a BNB in the first place so I think that's a great way to consistently be able to add value to sites and be able to build that profit in so I really want to do more developments and bigger developments, particularly around Birmingham, I'm not that interested in getting much further outside of, uh, of Birmingham. Um, however, I think the market is at that pivot point. I think some changes will happen in the coming months. So I'm just biding my time. I'm not rushing. I'm looking for um, amazing deals rather than just good deals. Uh, because if there's any movement or adjustment in the market, we can absorb that. And I think if there is a downturn in the market. Uh, next year, I think it will present huge opportunities where we can um, uh, pick up sites. There will be quite a few distressed people, unfortunately, that want to offload stuff. Um, but at the, other, the, at the same time, I think about what this government has done. I think they, you know, whatever your choice of politics is, They've been very, very smart how they've handled the economy and particularly around the property market. So, you know, you've got your furlough schemes, your grants, and other supports and loans and stuff that we've had, and the stamp duty holiday. All of these things have prevented the property market from crashing out, which, when you stand back and look at it, you think, with everything gone on, why isn't the market kind of falling on its knees? It hasn't, and it's still moving and it's still growing. And there's still, I think, the government has things up its sleeve that will bring out, like for example, there's talk of 95% mortgages for first-time buyers. I think they will stimulate the market and they'll keep it moving and they'll prevent it from crashing. So I'm not relying on the market's gonna crash next year and I'm gonna go shopping. I'm just keeping an open mind. If the market changes, you know, we change with it. And something again, I learned quite early on that in property, the only certainty is constant change. So although you know I might have ideas of what I'd like to do in 10 years time, I'm quite open to see, hey, let's see where it goes. Grow the businesses grow the team have amazing people around me which i think is the key thing and that's what i'm constantly looking for more so looking for properties i'm looking for amazing people to say how can i make them part of my team
1: yeah fantastic fantastic so a big team with amazing people um, but the main thing is really about a legacy somewhere and um, you know maybe for the next generations doing some good and uh, making sure that you make a, a good impact on the world i guess than, rather than a negative one which sometimes I think, unfortunately, developers can be tarred with that they're the, the, the plight of uh, uh, a, a neighbourhood sometimes, because it's always, oh, you're trying to develop this site and this site, but, you know, everyone, everyone needs somewhere to live. And if it's done in the right way, I think, uh, um, you know, it's something, it's a good service, a service to have. So very, very interesting that. So um, I'd love to thank you for your time. So I'd really, really appreciate the time in terms of um, coming along to answer the questions today. And um, I think there's been some fantastic insights. And I think you get a really good feel of people when you interview them. And there's certainly a consistent theme for you here, which is all around people, all around developing and all around, I guess at the end, it was quite telling. It's about legacy and making impact on people. So um, thank you very much for your time. It's been brilliant talking to you and I wish you all the luck and uh, Maybe in another 10 years, we can have another interview. No, hopefully before then. Let's not leave it that long. <laughs> but uh, I'm sure we'll be uh, yeah seeing each other before the 10 years. So I'll remind you of your legacy and I'll, be, I'll keep an eye on what that legacy is. Uh, yeah. to keep you Thank you so much, Mike. Thank you. Uh, Thank for, uh, you very much. And um, yeah, we'll catch up soon. Thank you.
0: You've been listening to the Property Business Accelerator Podcast with Mike Frisby. Don't forget to subscribe and follow us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn and at our website propertybusinessaccelerator.co.uk